This morning, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we go into the message and uh, ask for the Lord's leading and guiding. Gracious Father in heaven, what a blessing it is to be able to be given another day of life. But today, even more than that, Father, I and my wife thank you and praise you to be given another year of marriage, another year to celebrate the ability of our almighty God to not only bless, but to sustain through the challenges, the ups and downs of life. And here we stand today by your provision, by your strength, by your grace, by your leading, by your keeping. And we pray today, Father, as we talk about marriage in all of its components, relationships, what does it mean? We pray that we can learn that marriage is not just to have and to hold, but marriage is intended by you to have and to hold on. And I thank you for what you will do here today. May each marriage in this church and even those that will be joining us find strength as they lean upon your grace and your almighty purpose. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4 is where we find our scripture reading for today. I'd like you to read that with me. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Thank you, honey. If my wife hadn't been sitting where she was so many Sabbaths, I'd be misquoting stuff and telling you to turn to the wrong scripture. But praise the Lord, she makes me sound, she keeps me sounding sane. Because sometimes when I'm preaching a sermon and it goes forth in audio and people can't see the scripture on the screen, I have them turning places where the scripture cannot be found. So thank you, honey. Genesis 2 verse 24. Let's read this together. Therefore shall a man, what? Leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When I first saw this picture, I couldn't help but to smile and on some occasions laugh because the guy looks terrified. And the woman looked like she's holding on for dear life. The first thought that came to my mind was the one that I've used today to have and to hold on. But another one that came to my mind was the lyrics from a song, Oh, love that will not let me go. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about what it means to have and to hold on. Because before man devised a plan for perpetual love, God sent his son in the very beginning god had a plan for perpetual love through the challenges through the blessings through the ups and downs of life god had a plan from the very beginning for husband and wife to be one but you have to ask yourself the question how shall they be one 
And I began, I, I heard a number of years ago, one of my favorite preachers at the time, Elder Henry Wright, went through a beautiful soliloquy on the question, how shall they be one? And I wish I can say all of these came from my own mind, but I must give him the credit for it because I thought it was so wonderfully put together that um, as preachers periodically borrow from one another to find the humor and the veracity of what was communicated. But he posed the question, how shall they be one? And he said, he is male, she is female. He is tall, she is short. Or maybe she is tall and he is short. How shall they be one? How shall they be one? He's from the country, she's from the city, he's American, she's Puerto Rican. She comes from a family that, from the West Indies, he is a young man from the Midwest. How shall they be one? He is not educated. She is well-educated. How shall they be one? She comes from a close family that does everything together. He comes from a family that does nothing together but visit once in a while. How shall they be one? He comes from a church-going family. She comes from a family that only goes to funerals. How shall they be one? Have you seen yourself yet? He likes his food well salted. She doesn't. She likes rich desserts, ice cream, and cakes. He doesn't. She likes the house warm and the thermostat up even in the summertime. Amen, somebody. He doesn't. My wife, when we get in our vehicle, it could be 90 degrees outside, and I could look down at the dial, and she has her, heat, her seat heat turned all the way up. I said, how could you stand that heat on this hot summer day. She said, it feels good. <laughs> so I know what that's like. Years ago, we bought an electric blanket. Thank the Lord it had two temperature settings. <laughs> One day it got crossed. And I was wondering, I'm looking at my temperature setting. I'm just getting hotter and hotter and I'm turning it lower and lower. I had to wake up during the night. I thought this thing is broken when I realized that under the bed, the wires got crossed and she was warming me up and I was freezing her out. <laughs> that's why she kept turning the heat up and I kept turning it down. She was getting colder and colder and I was about to, I was about to be boiled to death. So I know what it's like. She likes the electric blanket to the max during winter and he doesn't. How shall they be one? Another one is he is short tempered and so is she. How shall they be one? She's got great credit. His credit is shot. How shall they be one? She likes running around with the girls, and he likes running around with the girls, too. Uh-huh. How shall they be one? Now, if you've made it through the many, many years of challenges, I want you to pause today and think back to a time when there were no boyfriends, no girlfriends, no grandmothers, no grandfathers, no grandchildren. They were all still future. No aunts, no uncles, no cousins, no nephews, and no nieces. And I know some people that would rather it be that way today. Some people could live on an island all by themselves, and they would be perfectly fine if no one interrupted their solitude, their quiet moments. But when you think back, there was a time when there were only two institutions, and God created both of them. 
The very first institution that God blessed was the institution of marriage. But Woody Allen said, how could something called an institution be so great? The fact of the matter is when the institution is instituted by God, it is great. What do you say? There was a time when the Sabbath and the marriage existed side by side. First, the marriage. Secondly, the Sabbath. When you think about that, it is no strange idea that the very two things that God blessed in the very beginning, the marriage and the Sabbath, are both under attack. That's why today, people are no longer getting married. People are shacking up. Young folk are saying, well, how do I know if we're going to be fine if I, if I don't try him out before we get married or if I don't try her out before I get married? I've heard young people tell me that. And I said to them, well, you don't have to worry about it because God has designed both of you that when you get married, I guarantee you, you'll know what to do. But brothers and sisters, the oldest institution that God blessed was marriage. And then God blessed the Sabbath. It was God's plan that the Sabbath and the family be a perpetual blessing to mankind. But it was Satan's plan that the Sabbath and the marriage be a perpetual curse to mankind. And if you just follow the statistics, it has been a challenge to keep the marriage together. It has been a challenge. But I want to say today, I'm standing here. My wife and I are standing here together by God's grace, by God's mercy. And I know that whatever God puts together, God can keep together. According to statistics, and you might think that marriage statistics in the world are a lot worse than in the church, but they are only separated by about 2%. And it is stated today that if you look at the statistics of those that get married and divorced, it is so close, it's almost getting to the point where it's beginning to reverse. And young people are saying, well, I'll get married when I'm 30 or 40. I'll get my career first. I'll get my education out of the way. Those things are good and those things are bad. And let me tell you why. My wife and I got married. We were sitting down yesterday reminiscing. And I'm going to share some pictures with you today. We were sitting down reminiscing about what we had when we got married. You know what we had? We didn't have anything but a double wide bed. And it was double wide because the one that was under mine, I pulled it out and extended it. When we got married, we didn't even have $1,000 in the bank. Didn't have a plan as to where we were going to live. And we looked back and we said to each other yesterday, we were, we were crazy. We had really no place picked out where we were going to move. So right after we got married, my wife moved into my room with me. And during the day, I would put her bed away. And during the night, I would open her bed up and there it was right by mine. We had nothing. But I look back on that and I realize statistically that that was a good thing. Because today, you ladies are getting married older and older. And they're getting to the place after they get their education, after they get their degree, after they get all those financial things in place, then they start looking for a husband when they're in their mid-30s, or some of them wait till they're almost in their 40s to start saying, I'm looking for a guy that matches me financially and educationally. And what they fail to realize is life is like a pyramid. The base of the pyramid is wider than the top. 
When you're at the base of the pyramid in your 20s, the base is wide because you have many more options. But as you get your education, your career, a lady starts making six figures, now she starts looking for a guy with an education comparable to hers, making six figures like she is, or having the kind of a career goals that she does, and the pyramid gets thinner and thinner and thinner as a young lady waits longer and longer and longer. But my wife and I, and I believe the reason why we have been able to hang on through all the challenges of life is we built a foundation together. We built a foundation from nothing. And even though we still don't own a home, I want to say to you today, there's a real estate agent that said he's going to build us a mansion and he's not going to charge us anything. So we're looking forward to that. We may own a home in the earth before we close our eyes in rest, but we are surely looking forward to the contract made with our real estate agent. He's building a house for us, and we're looking forward to the day when we can occupy that home. But the Bible makes it very clear. So young ladies, let me give you a, a word of caution. If you wait too long to get married, your choices become less and less. Because on the other side of that, when a guy is in his 20s and he goes to college in his 30s, he gets a degree in his 40s or even almost 40 years old and he has everything in place, there's a phrase called high value. And statistically, it points out that when a guy gets to the place where he's making six figures or maybe seven figures a year and he's 35 or 39 years old, he tends to go for women that are a lot younger rather than a woman that is in his very same age bracket. So ladies, let me give you an, an encouraging word of, 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 of advice. Don't wait until you are too old to try to freeze your eggs and then try to find a husband. Try to make those decisions when you're younger. No amen necessary. <laughs> That's why the Bible says, and I'm going to go back here in just a moment. I'll come back to that in a moment. I want to just give you some counseling here. It's clear that God intended for harmony to be the core of the marriage. It is also clear that harmony has been the toughest characteristic found in a marriage. I mean, how do you begin to put yourself aside? And I want you to hear me today. How do you begin to put yourself aside and make room for the other person? That's a challenging thing to do. When my wife and I started dating, oh, we started dating at 16, 17 years old, dated off and on for nine years. And um, honestly, I was in New York City. I was a disc jockey, a partier, a gambler, pool hustler, living for the world. And it was because of her that I came back to the church. And we got baptized together at 19 years old, and we continued dating until one day her brother pulled me aside and said, are you going to date my sister forever, or are you going to marry her? And I thought he was joking until I looked at his eyes. And he said, are you going to date her, or are you going to date her forever or marry her? I said, marry her. He said, when? I said, next month. <laughs> and we got married in 30 days. 30 days. We got the dresses made. We had all the plans made. So you folk that, all you idealistic folk that set up websites and you got special things, buy me this and buy me that, cut that out. If you could make it, if you could make it to the altar, pray that God can guide you through the challenges of life because I want to tell you, you could have $100,000 in his account 
and a whole lot more on her account, or you could have everything in place, but if you don't have God at the center, when the storms of life come, you're not going to make it. You're not going to hang in there. And the saying is, too many people marry for better or for worse, but not for good. I was talking to Iris yesterday after Dan is home now. Dan Jagir is recovering from surgery. And she said, this is going to be a tough one. He's walking around with no pain, but still a lot of challenges I can see. And I said, Iris, this is the part of that wedding certificate that says, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health, in prosperity or adversity. She said, you're right. I said, so we'll do our part as a church if we could help you in any particular way. But we're going to pray that you hold on. She said, right, I'm going to do that. That's life. While you're planning life, life happens. While you're looking idealistically at the future saying, this is the house I want, this is the car I want, this is where I want to live, don't allow things to be the reason why you stay together. Don't allow money to be the reason why you're married. As one marriage counselor said, you can borrow money from a bank with less interest. You can borrow money and pay back less interest. What he was saying, in essence, is you can borrow money from a bank without any headaches, but if you marry somebody just for their financial bottom line, what will happen when the money stops flowing? I've seen a lot of people marry for financial reasons. I've heard couples say to me, well, you know, we've got a good career. He's making good money. I'm making good money. And I would say to both of them, I hope you're not saying you're marrying for financial reasons. And they said, we already picked out a house. And some people are excited about weddings, but they're not excited about marriage. Some people have the most amazing weddings. I, I remember uh, singing for a wedding in Orlando, Florida. And I tell you, uh, the, the, the bride was stunning. The groom was, eh, eh. I'm being real with you. They didn't last for three years because she was so in love with herself that she forgot she was married to him. He was always having to give her, you know, he was having to give away to her beauty. They really never had a relationship. They had a perfect, beautiful, beautiful wedding. Then I heard about another wedding where they spent $25,000 on flowers. Somebody should have said to them, cut it out. Do you realize what you can do with $25,000? The whole church was lined with flowers. That is insanity, or somebody is a millionaire that just likes to throw money away. Can you imagine throwing away $25,000 worth of flowers within a week? And so marriage is not all that man desires it to be, but marriage can be everything that God designed it to be. The highest happiness on earth is in marriage. Every man who is happily married is a successful man, even if he fails in everything else. Socrates said, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, that's a good thing. You'll become very happy. If you get a bad wife, you'll become a philosopher. And that's not bad either. <laughs> Socrates said that. But I've said to couples, Nurture your relationship to such a degree that you don't want to see your husband or your spouse. You are sad to see them leave, but you're happy to see them come back home. 
If the entire world falls apart and you can come home while all the buildings on earth are coming down and look into your eye, the eyes of your wife or into the arms of your husband and say, it's going to be okay. You are the happiest person on the planet. If you can go to work and have difficulty and come home and tell it to your spouse and know that you have a listening ear, you've got something that people would give their eye tooth for. I've learned. Now, you know, I could talk. Don't say amen. I could talk a thousand miles an hour, but I have come to learn that I need to listen better. And my wife has taught me how to listen. Because, you know, women, they have this classic phrase, you're not listening. Amen, ladies. They'll say, you're not, you're not listening to me. You're hearing me, but you're not listening. Some people listen long enough to dive into that opening to say what they want to say. And I've learned that we can be one if we give the wife as much of the stage as we would want for ourselves. Husbands, let me give you a point of advice. When you invest yourself in the success of your wife, your life will be a lot more fulfilled than just investing in your own success. What do I, what do I mean by that? As you get older, you begin to grow. And some people grow by themselves while they are content to let the other one stay stagnant. But if you say to your wife or to your husband, Honey, what's interesting to you? What do you want to do? And you begin to invest your time in seeing that they succeed. You'll find a joy that you have never known before. You'll find a happiness. When my wife, my wife is involved in something now called Toastmasters. And she has, con she has continued to testify that she's not a public speaker. Well, I'll tell you what. She doesn't plan to be a public speaker. But when she gets in public, she speaks very well. And... I always say to her, what her biggest challenge is, if somebody asks her to speak, she'll torment herself to death until the day that the speech is over, and she'll say, how did I do? I said, honey, you did, you did excellent. You didn't get nervous. You did a great job. But meanwhile, I have learned, while she's stressing out, I do everything in my power to help her put together whatever she's working on. So that when the time comes, she can't look back and say, you, watch, you just stood there and watched me burn and didn't even give me a helping hand. <laughs> so when my wife does online presentations, I set up the lights. All you guys that are in productions, you know what I'm talking about. I set up the lights, make sure she has all the things that she needs, make sure her graphics are set well. And then when it's all done and they say on Toastmasters, that was an excellent job, she looks at me and goes, and you know what? I'm content with my pajamas to be in the background while she gets up in the morning and does her hair and gets her outfit together. And one of the, one of the chief leaders um, high up there in uh, Toastmasters said, Angela, not only was I on a journey when you spoke, but she said, you not only spoke well, but you dressed the part, you looked the part, you used your hands. She said, that was excellent. And my wife is saying, are they telling me the truth? And I said, honey, yes. And I was appreciative one day when April uh, said to my wife, because Angie said, I don't think I did that well. And April said, stop it. Stop it. You are insulting God. He's strengthening you and you're denying his ability. Thank you, April, for that. My wife has come a long way. But you know why? 
because I've invested myself in seeing that I don't share the platform by myself. Amen. That when we go places and when we do seminars, especially on relationships, my wife and I are up front together. I am not content to keep her in the shadows. Gentlemen, don't reserve the spotlight for yourself. And ladies, don't think that you are the only one that people are looking at. Because God has given you both attributes to be able to be a blessing to one another when those attributes are used in harmony with God's plan. You've heard the phrase opposites attract. Opposites do attract. But opposites can only attract if both of you are in harmony with the plan of God. Nobody wants to marry somebody exactly like them. I don't. Come on, Jeff, help me out and say amen. Charlotte is not like Jeff, and Jeff is not exactly like Charlotte. <laughs> if both of you are alike, one of you is unnecessary. <laughs> Why do so many couples spend all their time trying to get the husband to agree with them and get the wife to agree with them, do what I want, do what I want, when God intended for you both to be different? You've got to learn that there are roses, but there are also tulips. There are roses and there are thorns. Decide which one you're going to be and don't fight for the ascendancy to be the other. If you are different, appreciate the difference. Somebody help me out. Appreciate the difference. If your wife doesn't do that, well, that's fine. But appreciate the qualities that God has given to each of you. Opposites do attract when they both are in harmony with the plan of God, but opposites repel when they are unequally yoked. And so we read in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14 these words. Do not, what are the first two words? Say it together. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? I want to tell you right now, this is the biggest hill that people die on or that they rise on. Some people say, I've got to marry her. She is so beautiful. Other women say, I've got to marry him. Look at him. He is tall, dark, and handsome. He is a hunk. But you know what? They don't believe the same. They don't have the same convictions about God and his plan and his word. And they spend the rest of their lives, and I've seen the sad endings of these. The wife takes on the husband as a project, and she thinks that somewhere along the way she's going to convert him, and it never happens after 60-plus years. I was at a camp meeting speaking. I forgot where it was. There's so many different places. And a lady came to me, and she says, I'd like you to pray for my husband. I said, well, is he here today? She said, no, he's home. She said, he's, not, he's a non-believer. I said, how long have you guys been married? She said, 61 years. I said, did he become a non-believer? She said, no, he was not a believer when I married him. She said, I should have listened to the Lord. I spent 61 years of my life going to church by myself. When Sabbath comes, he has television on. He doesn't want to hear a thing about what I have to say about God. He doesn't really care about my commitment to Christ. And I should have listened. I knew it when I was young, but I was just hard-headed. And I've been 61 years coming to church by myself. 
pray for me. Pray for my husband. She was still praying for her husband. Now, I don't know what happened after that, but ladies, let me make this point, and I'll talk to the guys in a moment. If the person doesn't have the same convictions about God as you do, not just that they love the Lord, because some people, and let me make this very clear, some people are both Seventh-day Adventists, but they are still unequally yoked. You know why? Because they may have doctrinal beliefs together, but they don't have the same commitment to God as they should. But I'd rather have that scenario where we can work on our commitment to God together than be so unequally yoked on all these doctrinal beliefs that somehow we always argue. We can't get along. We can't see eye to eye about God. Then on the other side, there are those who think that I had a couple. One was Catholic. One was Baptist. They went to an evangelistic series that Pastor Doug and I did in Vallejo, California. And when we finished the series, they both stood up to be baptized. When we visited them, I was shocked. She says, oh, uh, he's Catholic. I'm Baptist. We don't ever talk Bible in our house. She said, but we both want to be baptized Seventh-day Adventists. Now, you missed an opportunity. They are together still to this day. Amen, somebody? Those are those rare occasions. I know we have family members that married somebody that wasn't in the church. They joined the church. They're still together to this day. Those are the rare occasions. Those don't always happen. But it's better when we follow God's guidance as it comes to making decisions about relationships. Why? Because in every relationship, there are going to be challenges. If you can't kneel down with your spouse and pray in times of difficulty, who are you going to pray with? If you can't go to the Lord together, and my wife and I can tell you, we can put interval marks in our marriage where we have had to up our prayer life, up our study life, really cry together and pray together and struggle together. But if we didn't have the unity that we have about God, we wouldn't be here today. There were days my wife prayed for me and gave me counsel. And even though I do counseling and relationship coaching, I don't presume to be her counselor. Gentlemen, let me tell you one thing that ladies hate. When they are midstream and they are telling you how they feel, don't ever say to them, take a breath. Because they might go to the kitchen and find their favorite kitchen tool, whether frying pan or whatever else, and reverse your sentence. When people are midstream pouring their hearts out, don't say, take a breath. Count to three. <laughs> Am I speaking from experience? Nah. <laughs> Got to learn these things. Women are like math. You ready for it, guys? If you think you can figure women out, you don't know women and you don't know math. Because just when you think you got them figured out, they switch. Amen. Help me out, somebody. Come on, guys. You can say amen. They're not going to kill you. Come on, Will. Say amen. amen. Just when you got them, you figure, I, I, finally, I finally figured her out. And somebody else shows up. Where's my, what'd you do with my wife? So don't ever think you figured your wife out. I always say, if you think you won the argument, 
it's not over. Because <laughs> women know how to regroup. They go back and have them a talk with their alter ego, and they get advice. And when that room door opens, you feel heat before you see them. No testimonies. Don't raise your hands and say, you know what I'm talking about. But the point of the matter is, one of you has to be the water and one of you has to be the fire. But Lord have mercy when you're both fire at the same time. I have learned on those days when I want to say enough already, I just say, you deserve it. Just go ahead and take it. You'll survive. Keep your mouth shut. You know she's right. <laughs> Amen, man. We don't like it when our wives figure us out. But let me tell you something. Women are smarter than you think. Guys just do stupid stuff. Amen. Women think it through. Yeah, he did it. When you're trying to hide stuff, women show up in the strangest places. How'd you find out? I have my sources. And they never tell you who their sources are. But God in Genesis, when we read that text in Genesis 2.24, the Bible is talking about transformation. Marriage takes you from deep emotion from your wedding day, you're so excited about who you see. You know, on the wedding day, your wife looks like, man, she just came off of a cake. Somebody just designed her. Marriage takes you from deep emotion to deep commitment. Those that cleave and hang on through the stages of life changes find a deeper love and a richer relationship. But you've got to hang on. Whenever you see a tree standing on a mountain by itself, you could be sure that that tree has deep, deep, deep roots. If you want your marriage to be like that, you got to get your roots deep. You got to get your roots deep. I was reading a booklet on a, actually a book on a psychologist, and he was a marriage counselor. Ginger and Lemon, my wife's commitment to good sermons. Thank you, honey. And he brought out five phrases that I want to share with you right now. These phrases he came up with as he interviewed, as he said, hundreds of couples through the years trying to change their view about marriage. He said there are five phrases that often identify certain marriages. The first one is, he said, tie the knot. He said to a couple, tie the knot. Don't tie the knot around your husband's neck because he might lose consciousness. So he said, don't use that phrase, tie the knot, because one of you might lose consciousness. Then he said, the other one, fell in love. Some people fall in love, but they did not know that the fall, the fall could leave bruises. He said, don't use that one. Don't fall in love. Let your love grow. Then he said, took the plunge. And he said, when he heard a couple say, take the, take the plunge, and he was sitting before them, being aware of their problems, he said, it sounds more like drowning than marriage. Took the plunge. One of them didn't make it. Then the other one, another couple he was at, and he broke these down into chapter categories, and it was amazing how he described the couples and why he said, don't use that phrase in your marriage. The other couple said, they jumped over the broomstick. 
And he said, and when they got on the other side of the broomstick, one of the couples, one of the husband and wife picked up the stick and started hitting the other one with it. So don't use that one. Don't jump over a broomstick. Walk on the grace of God. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. And then he said, the other one got hitched. Some people want to get hitched. But he told this couple that was going through difficulty, he said, that's why you've been dragged all your marriage, because you got hitched rather than got married. So watch out how you identify your relationship. A good way to identify relationships, as he pointed out, was he says, it should be like getting a license and both of you getting in the car together. Because marriage is more of a journey than just a joyride. Because there are going to be days that you want to get out. But if you lock the doors and activate the child lock when you start acting like a child, you have to drive, you have to stand that vehicle together, work through the difficulty together, and come out on the other side of that journey together. And you'll learn that through those moments, your marriage can become stronger and more meaningful if you decide one prominent thing. And my wife and I have learned this We've learned this because when we were first married and growing up together, I don't know of anybody that likes to lose an argument, but I've learned something. Don't try to win the argument. Make the aim you both win together or you both lose together. Because there's nobody that wins an argument and the other one loses and your marriage is going to be strong. You have to focus on, we are both going to win together. So we use phrases like, we have a problem that we need to find a solution for. We have difficulty that we need to address. We can be stronger than we are, but how are we going to work on this together? But if you just make it a, you got a problem, you need to deal with it. It's like a toothache. You got a toothache. How do you get rid of that? You get rid of the tooth. That's why so many people have gotten rid of their spouses, because they look at them as the problem. When you're married, you both have the problem, or you both share the blessing. Can the church say amen? amen. When things are going well, you can celebrate together. When things are going tough, get on your knees together. Get back in God's word together. Because marriages are not always ordained by God. The marriages, but not all marriages, happen because God gave direction. I'll give you a classic example. Look at this one. We're in Judges chapter 14. <laughs> Who am I talking about? Samson, the strongest weak man on the planet, or the weakest strong man on the planet. God does not join every marriage together. Judges 14, verse 1 and 2. Now Samson went down to Timnah. Now let me give you a hint, you Bible students. When you see the word down in a text, it means they're going in the wrong direction. Like Jonah went down, down, down. Whenever the Bible uses the word down, something bad is about to happen. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah. He was being guided by his eyes, not his, not his principles, of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up, verse 2, and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. What, did, what decision did he make? He made the decision based on what he saw. 
But let me tell you what happened in Samson's life. This is the class that appears to be strong, but closer examination reveals the following. Externally strong, inwardly weak. Strong constitution, weak judgment, short-sighted. Persuasive, determined, bent on getting his or her own way. Professed to know God's plan, but follows his or her own plan. That was Samson. In the end, the marriage is summed up in one word, regret. If you could ask Samson what happened, Samson would say, he thought that he was going for all that he bargained for only to realize he got more than he can afford. And you know what happened in the story. Samson was so in love, he lost his sight. That's why Agatha Christie said, you've got to focus on trusting the plan of God first. Don't fall in love just because somebody looks good. Let me tell you why. Because time will change stuff. I heard those, mm, that's right. Like the couple that was sitting on the couch after almost 50 years of marriage. They were sitting with great distances. You know, sometimes you take each other for granted. They were sitting on the couch with great distance between them and the wife, just feeling the coldness of the room as her husband was just about a foot away. She said, I remember the time that, you know, you used to, used to put your arms around me and give me a nice hug. And he looked over in compassion and slid over next to her and put his arms around her. She said, I remember the times when you used to whisper sweet nothings in my ear. And he started whispering sweet nothings in her ear. And she said, this is working. She said, I remember when you used to nibble on my earlobes. And he got up and ran. And she said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to get my teeth. I'll be right back. <laughs> 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 things are going to change. <laughs> you guys are terrified today. But you know what? I, look, I had a chance to look back at our pictures. And I'll be honest with you. And this is true. I hadn't really noticed that. But I look at my wife and I'm thinking, I looked at 2000 this and 19 this. And I'm looking back and I said, honey, I'm changing, but you hardly changing. And even her family said that. Look at you. You look like you still did that year and this year. Even Jason Bradley said, Auntie Angie calls her Auntie Angie, said, when I look at your pictures, you look like you did 15 years ago or 10 years ago. But here's the point, brethren. Don't fall in love with things that change. Because when... The life circumstances change. And your love is not deeper than the change. You're not going to hang around. Love your wife for who God is making her. Come on, husbands, help me say amen. And love your husbands for who, is God, who God is making him to be. I used to have black hair. I used to have a lot of hair. I have gray hair. Thank the Lord I haven't lost, my bowl hasn't come out yet. But uh, every now and then I see more light than I'd like. But my wife said, that's okay. 
I've loved you through every other color. I'll still love you nonetheless. Agatha Christie said, if you want to get married, marry an archaeologist. He's the best husband because the older you get, the more interested in you he'll become. <laughs> you know, archaeologists are always looking for old stuff. But I like this illustration about marriage. Marriage is like a sunset. Let me read this. I don't want to mess it up. It says, when we walk on the beach to watch the sunset, we don't say, Lord, give me a little bit more orange over the right and please, or would you mind giving us less purple in the back, or, or can you tone down the yellows? We don't say that. The writer said, we enjoy sunsets because its beauty is found in its diversity. And then they end by saying, however, you will never come to appreciate the sun or your marriage unless you embrace the fact that as long as the sun shines and as long as God is in your marriage, it expresses the creative diversity of God. But listen to this. The colors in the sky will not always be the same, but it is the same sun. Did you grab that? There may be days when the clouds are there, but it's the same sun. If you remember, it's the same woman. There may be cloudy days. It's the same woman. He's the same man. The clouds may be appearing. It may be raining, but you've heard the phrase behind every cloud, there is a silver lining. It's the same sun. And so I've learned and I've grown. <clears throat> My wife and I said, why are you so lovey, 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 dovey? I said, you know why? Because if you can be this good to me on this side of the planet, on this side of heaven, I can't wait till I make it to heaven. And I know that some people have had the challenge of, of maybe losing a spouse and I want to be sensitive there and and some people have gone through the changes of marriage. But I tell you, I, I, when I get to heaven, I just, want to have to, I just want to be able to pick from one woman. So when the resurrection happens, I don't have to say, well, that, well, uh, uh. I understand diversities of life. But like Elder C.D. Brooks and Elder E.E. E. Cleveland, when his wife passed, he said, I ain't getting remarried because I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting her again in heaven. And when Elder Brooks passed away, his wife said the same thing. When eternity rolls, I want to look forward to one person being with me throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. And let me settle a question very quickly today. Will we be married in heaven? There won't be weddings in heaven. But God is not going to get rid of your spouse any more than he's going to get rid of the Sabbath. That should have been a praise God. But the fact of the matter is, when God made man and woman, he divided himself down the middle. Adam was perfect before God created Eve, but Adam was also perfectly lonely until God created Eve. Man and woman comes from God, and man and woman is created in the image of God. And when a man and a woman is united in marriage, they complete the image of God in the human race. That's why today it's really strange, men marrying men and women marrying women. 
It just doesn't even, it doesn't fit into anything else in life. Because the, the human race, can you imagine if way back then men decided to marry men and no more men married women, the race would die out. But God intended for the race to continue to produce and to reproduce, to be procreating and continuing to proliferate the human race. God never intended for man to marry man. I don't care what is legal or illegal. God never intended for man to marry man. Or woman to marry women. And oneness with God is not only symbolic, but it is theological. God is present and active in a marriage when both are united in Christ. And that's why the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Look at this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When God made Adam and then took Eve from the, took a rib from Adam and made Eve, the Bible, when the Bible calls Adam, uh, Eve, Eve, the word woman means taken from man. And you might check today, and if you have one less rib on one side, look across the room, and there she is. That rib. Isn't it amazing, gentlemen, what God can do with a rib? You guys, you ain't getting dinner tonight. Because that was a perfect time to say, God gave me a real good-looking rib. <laughs> I always wonder why guys like barbecues. You got any ribs? <laughs> Go to barbecues looking for ribs. No, that already happened. Don't look for any more ribs. Amen, somebody. But God can do a whole lot with a rib. Amen, husbands. Amen. Uh, you weak bunch. <laughs> That's why the Lord said, it is not good, Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. I read a statistic, and it is true, gentlemen. For those of you that think you have to wait long to get married, guys, let me tell you something. Statistically, married men live longer than single men. You know why? Single men are foolish. They stay up late. They play video games till the next morning. They don't, they don't see the need to take a bath two days in a row. They eat old food. They could have Chinese food that they bought four weeks ago and they're still eating it out of a, a broken box. They have habits that are just so detrimental to their lives. You walk into most single men's apartment and you smell sneakers as soon as you walk in. Men, it is not good that men should be alone. God, as Elder Brooks said, God gave a wife to man so that he wouldn't live the rest of his life acting like a fool. Some men stay up too late by themselves. We go to bed together. We don't go to bed. One goes and the other one joins two hours late. Gentlemen, don't put yourself in a position where late night hours can tempt you to do things that God does not approve of. Go to bed together. Read your Bible before you go to bed. Pray together. And when that light goes off, you're both in that bed together. Well, Friday night is different because God and I are together and we are working on the sermon. That's the only time that I go to bed late. But other than that, we go to bed together. Because I, the Bible says it is not good that man should be alone. God is the foundation. And when you follow God's plan, you will know the love that God intends. As 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 said, He that does not love does not know God, for God is love. What does that mean? If God is love, love must always be godly. And here's the point I want to make. 
If somebody says, you'll do this because you love me and it's not godly, don't do it because God is love. Therefore, love has always got to be followed by godly activity. If God is not in it, don't do it. Godly love will not be found in ungodly relationships. Ungodly activity will never result in a revelation of God's love. God is love. Make sure that your activity is approved of God. Because when Satan works to divide a marriage, he is not just dividing a man and a woman from each other. He is eroding the image of God on the human family. He's keeping the maleness of man and the femaleness of woman from becoming a revelation of the divine presence in marriage. And that's why Matthew 19 verse 6 says this. So then, they are no longer two, but how? One flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, what does the Bible say? Let no man separate. How shall they be one? What God has joined together, let no man separate. And the word there, man, is not a gender-specific word. It means let no one separate. How shall they be one? Let's start with this principle. Mark 10, verse 27. But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, how many things? All things are possible. How many things? All things are possible. And if you've been married for more than a decade, or two decades, or three decades, or four decades, or five decades, you know that with God, all things are possible. So now, let me end with these nine quick points. Point number one, here it is. Let there be joy in your marriage daily. Amen. Every day, my wife and I laugh at each other or we laugh at one of you. Because <laughs> church members... Do stupid stuff at times. And we say, did you hear what happened? Yeah, that was a trip, wasn't it? We start laughing. Just like you laugh at us sometimes, we laugh at you sometimes. Let there be some reason every day you smile. You know why? It takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. You got to really try hard to frown. Can't even do it. But I can smile. Let there be joy in your marriage every day. We laugh at stuff. Sometimes early in the morning when my wife wakes up, and she kissed me on the cheek. She said, go brush your teeth. I ain't kissing you. What did you eat before you went? Doritos? I could tell. You know, those are simple things of life. She's really funny. Well, sometimes she's all dressed and ready to go, and I'm just like being resurrected. And she said, boy, if your church could see you now. <laughs> laugh at something. When she comes home, you know, sometimes she likes to sneak up she likes to do this. <laughs> she comes in the house. And more times than not, I almost jump out of my skin. She said, why are you jumping? It's just me. I said, you got to stop that. I said, honey, you got to stop that. I conceal and carry. Please. I don't want to shoot you. No, that's not going to happen. I don't walk around the house with a gun, just to be very candid about that. But let there be reasons every day that you can smile together. Amen. Because when you can smile together, and let me tell you, you will be able to smile together if you do not leave those tough conversations to just before you go to bed. Please, let me give you some advice. 
If things are not right, don't wait till you're both in bed to talk about it. And sometimes people don't have timing. They say, so tell me. I need to know what happened. Don't do that before you go to bed because you ain't going to sleep. It's going to be hours before you even feel like sleeping and one of you is not going to sleep. We learned that early in our marriage. We used to do that. Talk about tough things just before we go to bed. You know, it's, it's terrible. Sometimes you get all angry with each other and, um, you know, the, you just can't sleep. So here's the key. Let there be joy in your marriage daily. The wise man, he ought to know he had a thousand women. Take advice from a man who's been there a thousand times. Proverbs 15, verse 13, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is what? Broken. That's right. And here's the other key. If your wife is not feeling well, don't make it a flippant moment. Don't try to minimize what she's going through and start acting like bozo just to break her out of that. And the same thing for your husband. Be kind about that. Don't say, hey, we forgot to laugh today if it's a serious moment. Allow God to give you wisdom on how to do that. Here's another one that I don't know which category this applies to, whether male or female, <laughs> but I'm going to put it up there anyhow. Don't nag your spouse. Okay, don't say anything, John. I won't, Lord. Let the Bible speak. Proverbs 21:19. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Okay, guys, you can breathe. The Bible said that. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't end with contentious women. Solomon says sometimes an angry, a nagging woman could be like a dripping faucet. You know what I'm talking about. And you want to, in your soul, you're screaming, enough already, but you don't say that. Because you know it ain't going to end right. Oh, since I can't speak, you cook your own dinner. But B, please, please, ladies, give the guys a break sometimes. Let the lady speak. Thank you, honey. Let the men speak too. Amen. Can you all say amen? amen. You guys are really reserved today. I understand I'm coming at you. Not only are there nagging women, but there are nagging men. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. I can tell you, people will try to separate you all. I've said to people, when somebody comes to you with a complaint about your spouse, go to them first. Don't ever, ever join someone's side against your spouse. Because when you got it all ironed out, and the other thing is, if difficulty arises in your relationship, don't share your stuff with other folk. Because when you got it worked out, in their mind, you're still that dog. I mean, there you are, that dog right there. She told me like three months ago what he did. You got it all ironed out, and people still think of your husband or your spouse as a, or your wife as a, 
whatever you told them that they were. Had a church member that would always complain about their husband. Always complain. And I said, does he hit you? No. Does he beat you? No. Does he lie on you? No. I went through all that. I said, now consider yourself to have the worst of the best. The best of the worst. The best of the worst. If he hasn't done all of it, consider yourself to have the best of the worst. And I came to find out as I counseled with him, well, she always wanted things her way. And if she couldn't get her way, she complained to everybody until she got her way. Don't do that. Don't force your husbands into making decisions that are not in harmony with the scriptures. Allow him to be the head of the household at least one day a week. <laughs> Every day. When it comes to critical decisions, my wife says, honey, what should we do? What should we do? We consult each other about most of our decisions, but when it comes to a critical moment, what should we do? I trust you. And I tell you, more times than not, it proves to be true. But I know my wife has a lot of wisdom because she's a woman who reads her Bible. She studies. She prays. And there are days when my wife would say to me something very serious, and she'd say, you know, the Lord revealed to me this. And I'd say, honey, thank you for showing that to me. I got it. And I'd follow that advice, and the blessing will come. That's why the world needs more warm hearts and fewer hot heads. But also remember this. You can't keep a man's heart warm with cold food. Did I say something I shouldn't have said? I told a guy once that was getting married, he said, my wife saw this beautiful kitchen she wants. And I've seen, my wife and I like to watch the house channel, HGTV, where they have beautiful houses. Anybody else? You know, gorgeous houses. Beautiful kitchen. And the wife says, but I don't, but I don't cook. He's going to be the cook. So I said to some guys, you're planning on getting married? Buy your wife a cookbook. Because there's some truth to it. A way to a man's heart is through his stomach. My wife was raised in a West Indian home, and believe me, last night, whoo, my wife, I'll show you the picture. Last night, she made some vegan curried stew beef. You, you know what I'm saying? Ricky and Jasmine know what I'm talking about. You know, all kinds of nationalities, including Jamaican. Vegan stew beef with dumplings, carrots, and jasmine rice. Had the table set with a candle and pictures and cake. Martinelli. When I sat down, I thought, and I was moved to tears. I said, you've been doing that for me for 38 years. How much do I owe you for all the meals that you have cooked for me? Make me sandwiches. When I come home from something at 3ABN, she could, it's like the Lord gives her a timing. And I walk and I could, I walk right to the kitchen. I knew you were coming. There's a sandwich. There's your postum. There's your ginger and lemon tea for going to work. I know you're going to be doing Sabbath school all day. I made your ginger and lemon, and it's such a clock that when I walk in, Jill and Shelly Quinn says, do you have your ginger and lemon? I got it today. Right, Shelly? She, so this is the, these are the things that make the husband excited about life. That's why the next one is so vitally important. Number three, here it is. Put no one before your spouse. Put no one before your spouse. No one. 
Doctor, lawyer, another woman, another man, put no one before your spouse. The counsel of a wise man, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. As the Lord guides his church, husbands, guide your wives. Be willing to give yourself for her. What does that mean? That means when difficult times come, stand up for your wife. Do not ever, ever join anybody in their attack on your wife or your husband. Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. What does that mean? Let your husband give you guidance. That word submit means you've got to recognize that God has given him the leadership role in the family. Do not try to put the pants on when God has given them to him. Let him be the leader. Don't try to minimize him and make him feel less than. And that's why the Bible, when it couples all these together, it says in Ephesians 5 and verse 21, submitting to one another in what? In the fear of God. Number four, I'm going through them quickly. Number four. Never go to bed angry with each other. Told you I'm coming at you. Some folk, for whatever reason, I don't, know how, I don't know how they do it. Some people don't talk to each other for days. I don't know how they do it. We get angry, but we don't go to bed without it resolved. Because I've heard too many sad stories. I remember I got a call one day, and you know, those of you that have been around, you know Kyle Warren. Kyle Warren called me when I was in Orlando, Florida at an ASI convention. Called me on the phone weeping. I said, Kyle, what's wrong? He said, my dad died in his sleep. I knelt on that floor and just cried with him on the phone. You don't know if your spouse is going to wake up the next day. There doesn't need to be any visible signs of anything that's going to happen. He said there were no indicators. He just died in his sleep with a heart attack. Ladies, what would your heart be like if you knew that you and your husband went to bed angry or that you and your wife went to bed angry and you didn't see another day? How will the lament follow you for so many days? The burden would be so great. When you close your eyes at night together, here's the, here's the advice given by the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. The devil will like nothing more than you both. And I'll tell you, you might, might agree with me on this one, or you might not, but it's, it's my own experience. Nothing makes a bed seem so small than two folk that are not talking. You ever did that before? Okay, all right. I told you I'm going to share some. Not anymore, but years ago, I forgot where we were living, wasn't here. We were, we were upset, and that day she said, I ain't giving in, and that day said, I ain't giving in. And I laid at the edge of the side of this bed, I laid at the edge of this same bed, and she was on the other edge. You ever try to not move? What? I refuse to move. I'm not going to breathe. I'm not going to move. I'm not doing anything. If anybody, she's going to give in first. Like about 3 o'clock in the morning, the Lord hit me upside the head. And I think he hit her too because we both said, you awake? Yeah. I'm sorry. 
No, I'm sorry. It was my fault. No, it was my fault. You get a new argument. You both want to own up to it now by 3 o'clock in the morning. I tell you something, and this is, this is, um, if you're ever at that place where you're angry with each other, swallow your pride. And even husbands, I'm going to give it to you, husbands, this is not easy for wives, but be the man in the house and say, you may be feeling this way because I did something to cause that. What can I do to help repair that? You, I'll tell you what, you get 10 points right there. 10 quick points. And next time you go to Best Buy, she might buy what you always wanted. Be the man. But women, don't rely on your husband always to be taking the blame for something that you know you are responsible for. Own up to it. And you'll find he'll say to you, as my wife has done on occasions, she sometimes come home from work and she say, you know what, I had a good talk with the Lord today. And he said, I was wrong. So I apologize. And she'll pull me aside and she'll hold my hands and look up, look up at me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was my fault. I know I was being hard-headed this morning, but I'm so sorry he brought it to my attention. Do you forgive me? I said, I, I, I forgive you already. She said, no, just said, do you forgive me? I forgive you, honey. And that's why we're still here today. That's why we're still, after 38 years of ups and downs and trials and tribulations and storms and hurricanes and earthquakes, we're still here. Number five, I'm going as, quick, uh, as quickly as you let me go. Learn to appreciate the blessing of two. Learn to appreciate the blessing of two. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 12, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, what happens? What happens? One will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Be there for your spouse if they fall. Verse 11. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Do not sleep in different beds when you have a conflict. That's the devil's plan. I cannot say that with too much. Do not lock doors and shut your spouse out. The devil will have a heyday when you say, I am not going to be in that same bed with you tonight, I'll be in another room. You better get to your knees and humble your heart and say, Lord, break down this demonic wall between us and fix that thing. If you lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And it says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken what does that mean? When the Lord is in that and you are fighting together for the success and the victory of both of you, God will bring you through. Amen, Amen Eric? Addy, Abby, Addy. That's right. God will bring you through. God will bring you through. I've heard people do some crazy stuff. One couple said, you know, the husband was so afraid he put, he put cans on the doorknob so that if his wife came in the room, it will make noise. He was terrified for his life. Because they had an argument earlier the other day, early in the day, and she said, while you're sleeping, I'm thinking. He put no bottles on the doorknob just in case she comes in and tries to kill me during the night. That's insane. My wife and I have never gone to bed thinking that one of us is going to take the life of the other. That is insane. But here's another one. Are you ready for number six? Thank you for saying amen. 
Here's another one. I cannot overemphasize this. Develop an eye for your spouse. For your spouse. Here's why. Some people look too long. And I'll tell you what happened in just a moment. What, the, what does the Bible say? And a wise man, he ought to know this. If anybody knows, Solomon knows. Proverbs 5, verse 3 to 5. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold on hell. What is Solomon saying? Solomon's saying, not only does a stolen kiss taste sweet, but he's saying, the woman who is trying to steal you will say what you want to hear. But in the end, you'll find out that was a plan from hell. He's saying the only way that you can avoid that is develop an eye for your own spouse. Amen, somebody. But I want to say today, your feet cannot lead you where your eyes are not focused. Remember David, the sin of the patriarch David, it began with his eyes looking at Bathsheba. He would have never committed adultery and then taken the life of her husband if he had guarded his eyes. Guard your eyes. Not everything that looks good is good. If God has not given that man or woman to you, keep your eyes and your hands off of him or her. Somebody ought to say amen. Number seven. Went too fast. Love your spouse as much as you love yourself. Just got two more. Love your spouse as much as you love yourself. What a nice world this would be if we loved our wives as much as we loved our cars. Some guys polish their cars, clean that thing up. They're outside all day long, five hours. What would, be, what would your marriage be like if your husband on Sunday morning say, Honey, not doing the car today. I got a special day planned for you. Let's go out and it's on me today. Husbands, take time to nurture your wife, to love your wife, to get her stuff. It doesn't have to be a special occasion. Show her that you love her. Show her that you care about her. When it is raining, be the umbrella in her life. Why? The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 28 and 29, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. God nurtures and cherishes the church. Cherish your wife. Number eight. And by the way, I'm going to just say this. I'm going to do a full marriage seminar. Try to do something for about three or four days where I've done these around the world, I think it's time for us to do one here. Strengthen the couples in our own church. Number eight, make love the foundation of your marriage. Make love the foundation of your marriage. Not money, not vacation, not possessions, not things you desire to buy, but make love the foundation of your marriage. This is a command from the Lord. John 13, verse 14, a new commandment I give to you. That you do what? Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Love them on the good days and bad days. Love them when they ate Doritos just before they go to bed. <laughs> love them no matter what. I don't say because they did right or did wrong, but love them and you'll make it through the right or the wrong. 
If Christ is the foundation of your relationship and it's built on Christ, it cannot be built on Christ and love be missing. Make love the foundation, and I'll bring out, out in my future seminar what that means. And the last one, you were waiting for this. Put Jesus at the center. Put Jesus at the center. This is a promise that we don't often see. We see this almost in the broad scope of the church, but this is also pertaining to the marriage. John 17, 23. I in them, that's you and your spouse, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Amen, somebody? I know this is a challenging topic because some of you are waiting for Resurrection Day to be with your spouse. And I want to encourage you today, hold on because there's a greater day coming. God understands the burden you carry. God understands your love. God understands you're waiting for that day. Let me tell you, hold on. There's a beautiful day coming, a day of rejoicing. You're going to be reunited again because God has given you a love that even time itself will not erase. But I end with this quotation from the book Adventist Home. It's a very powerful one, page 120, paragraph 1. If the will of God is fulfilled, the husband and the wife will respect each other and cultivate love and confidence. Anything that would mar the peace and unity of the family should be firmly repressed, and kindness and love should be cherished. He who manifests the spirit of tenderness, forbearance, and love will find the same spirit will be reflected upon him. Where the Spirit of God reigns, there will be no talk of what? Unsuitability in the marriage relation. If Christ indeed is formed within the hope of glory, there will be union and love in the home. Christ abiding in the heart of the wife will be at agreement with Christ abiding in the heart of the husband. They will be striving, how? Together. They will be striving together for the mansion Christ has gone to prepare for them who love him. Today, friends, a successful marriage is like a ship that set out to sea. The storms and waves of life will challenge it, but the husband and wife will stay the course. God sanctified marriage to be an eternal blessing. Honey, would you please join me? Would you please join me, babe? Come on up, honey. And I'm going to do like a husband should. I'll help my wife up the steps. I still open doors for my wife. Even though we got clickers nowadays, put that clicker down and hold the door for your wife. You know, some guys leave their wife out in the rain. Open the door. <laughs> 38 years, honey, today, to having to hold on. Will you take me again to be your husband? And I take you continually to be my wife. But before we go any further, honey, I want to say I love you.
I have loved you. I will love you. And I'm looking forward to spending eternity together with you. And so today is a special day for us because God has brought us through many things. And I recommit myself to you for the 38 years we make today and for the one more year as we go to the future. 38 years, 38 roses for the years behind us and one more for the year ahead of us. If God would be so kind. I don't need to follow any rainbows Search the world to find my dream come true I don't need a lucky star to guide me I found my treasure in you. I don't need to climb another mountain or set my sails across the seven seas. Paradise did I was always longing for was found when you loved me and now my greatest joy is loving you the hope I lost was found and made
Let us pray. Loving Father and our precious God, standing before you, Lord, is the nucleus of the church, husbands and wives, the completion of the image of God and the human race. And Father, we have not always been what we have been called to be, but your grace is sufficient for us. In our weakness, your strength is still made perfect. Today, Lord, as I recommit myself to my lovely wife, to hold on, to hold on through the thick and thin of life, through the ups and downs, the challenges, the things that come and go, may we watch each other grow in beauty as time continues to unfold. And when time for us shall be no more in this life, may we look forward to that great hope to the day when you come to take us home. May we seek to be a person of love and understanding to our husbands and wives, to be there to strengthen them, to show them publicly and privately that they are the most important person on this planet and that no one or nothing will be able to come between that. Thank you, Father, for strength and for forgiveness. There's so many things that we can forgive each other for, but we couldn't do that if your presence and power did not abide in our hearts and in our lives. And so bless us today, Lord, as we celebrate this day for me and my wife, my angel A. Thank you, Lord, for the gift that I have enjoyed and continue to enjoy in this lovely woman. I pray that you'll bless her, strengthen her, guide her, and keep our hearts secure, knowing that her husband is on the foundation that God would have him to be on. His heart is secure, it's sealed, belongs to her alone, and her life and his life is one in you. May our weekend be a blessed one as you continue to abide with us, and may all these couples, as they grow older together, recognize that what you blessed will be blessed forever. And we thank you for your great love, which we are still learning about, but help us to be willing to reflect that love to one another. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of these married couples said, Amen.